the Slaughter and May podcast. Welcome to a Slaughter and May podcast on Merrick's Mastercard. My name is Camilla Sanger and I'm a partner within the Disputes and Investigations group here at Slaughter and May. And I'm joined by two fellow Disputes and Investigations partners, Damien Taylor and Tim Blanchard. And a particular focus of our practice areas is competition litigation. Now, just before Christmas, the UK Supreme Court handed down its much-anticipated judgment in Merricks and MasterCard. And the Supreme Court, by a majority, largely upheld the Court of Appeal's decision, significantly lowering the threshold that a proposed representative on behalf of a class of claimants needs to overcome when applying for a collective proceedings order, which is known as a CPO. Now, as a result, the Supreme Court dismissed MasterCard's appeal and remitted the case back to the CAT to reconsider Mr Merrick's application. There is no question that the judgment is one of the most important commercial judgments of 2020, and it represents a significant development in the future of the UK's collective proceedings regime. Parties and their lawyers, both on the defendant and the claimant side, will be analysing the judgment very carefully and considering its wider implications, I'm sure, for months, if not years to come. There's certainly a lot to be said about the judgment, but Tim, what was your key takeaway from the decision? Thanks, Camilla. Well, as far as the substance of the judgment is concerned, I think the headline takeaway for me is that Lord Briggs's adoption of a relative approach to assessing suitability is likely to embolden claimant law firms and litigation funders and potentially reinvigorate claimants' interest in bringing these types of claims in the future. But as you've already said, much uncertainty still remains. And as we know, the scope and nature of collective proceedings cases are ultimately driven by their own particular facts. So it remains to be seen just how the CAT will conduct its so-called value judgment regarding relative suitability in future cases. And as we also both know, there's a backlog of CPR applications that had effectively been put on hold pending the outcome in Merricks. Now that the judgment is here, I expect the CAT will want to quickly progress through those applications. We know that it's already due to rehear the Merricks application in March. And out of the other seven pending applications, two have been set for the same month and I believe a further two for July. Thanks, Tim. And and the CAT's ability to make a value judgment gives the CAT broad discretion to weigh up the different factors when reaching its decision, which I think will differ from case to case. Yes, I think that's right. And I think it's also important to remember that the Supreme Court didn't address each and every issue that might have come up at certification, and nor do I think it could realistically have ever, ever done so, given that it's focusing on the particular facts of this particular case. Take carriage disputes, for example, there's no guidance in the judgment on how they should be handled. So I guess what I'm saying is that I don't see Merricks as the end of the story, quite the opposite, in fact. There's still plenty to play for on both sides, and I expect we'll see further developments and guidance coming along as other CPR applications are determined by the CAT. Yeah, and Tim, I, I mean, I agree with all of that. And just I suppose to add two general observations from my side, one on the majority judgment, one on the minority judgment, um, is, you know, first of all, the the majority emphasised this point about um, it being a fundamental requirement of justice that um, the court just has to do its best to value damages. So even if it's very complex and there are gaps in the data, it's no excuse 
just to say we can't do it. They have to do their best. And I think that's got repercussions perhaps beyond just CPO cases and to competition uh, claims generally, and maybe even um, civil claims across the board as well. It is obviously being seen as a very claimant-friendly aspect of the decision, but I think it is important to bear in mind that the majority made clear that it can cut both ways, this sort of very uh, broad X-type principle. And in cases where there just is no data or it's it's just impossible to uh, come to a conclusion, the answer may be that there are no damages available. And then on the minority side, the point I just wanted to pick up on was this general warning that um, uh, if the threshold is set too low, then the CPOs will be used as a as a sort of to really hold a claim over the defendant's head is one of the phrase used and they can be opportunistic claims by claimants um, and so it's going to be really interesting how uh, the cap deals with that and how that plays through over the next year. Thanks Damien. I agree that the cats will likely be alert to that and presumably will want to ensure that the right balance is struck between the positions of claimants and defendants. Now, typically at Slaughter and May, we act for defendants in competition damages cases, and we are acting on the defendant side in six of the collective proceedings application cases that are currently pending before the CAT, two on FX, two on trucks and two on trains. Um, Without revealing too much about um, defendant strategy and tactics, what arguments, Tim, do you think that proposed defendants should be focusing on post-merics, either at the certification stage or beyond? Well, two areas that I think will merit careful consideration by any proposed defendant are the two exceptions that the Supreme Court itself identified to the general proposition that the certification stage follow a no-merits test-based approach. The first of those exceptions is, is where a strikeout or summary judgment application is made. Now, given these applications can be heard at the same time as a CPO application, proposed defendants may be more inclined to bring them, be that in respect of the whole case or only parts of it. And I think it will be interesting to see whether this will be used as a mechanism to advance arguments that may previously have been made at the certification hearing instead. Now, the second exception applies when choosing between an opt-in versus opt-out model for the CPO. Here, I think we may see the battleground shifting in some cases from defendants opposing certification in its entirety to instead resisting certification on an opt-out basis. As we know, having proceedings progress on an opt-in rather than an opt-out basis is a big prize to fight for from a potential defendant's perspective. And on the other side of the fence, opt-in proceedings are clearly less attractive for both claimants and litigation funders, not least because of the overall low uh, lower claim value that one would expect they would have. Thanks, Tim. And I mean, those mechanisms may still enable defendants to get to the merits of a case and put the claims to the test in ways that it might not now be so straightforward to do in CPR applications following the Supreme Court's decision. 
I think it was also helpful that Lord Briggs disagreed with the Court of Appeal's criticism of the cross-examination of Mr Merrick's as experts at the certification hearing. And he instead took the view that whilst cross-examination of experts might be rare at CPO hearings, it might be appropriate in particularly large or complex cases. Damien, do you have any additional thoughts on this? Yeah, well, just really saying, I, I agree entirely with what um, you and Tim have been saying about the Merrick's judgment doesn't doesn't address um, everything that needs to be heard in a CPO application. So there's still plenty for um, defendants to to argue about. Um, I think in particular we're looking at the eligibility condition and the authorization condition, which will mean that. Issues such as do the claims really raise the same or similar issues of facto law? Is that um, that that Merrick's hasn't anything to say about that? That's still a potential live issue. Um, the adequacy of the funding arrangements as well uh, put forward by the applicants is is another area of potential. Um, uh, a potential area where um you know the court is going to need to be satisfied that they've satisfied that criteria um on trucks we had a week long preliminary hearing over funding issues where changes were made and in some cases the court imposed conditions on the the funding initially put forward another part of the authorization condition would be whether there are conflicts between members of the class as well and that can arise particularly if you've got different members of the class at different levels of the supply chain but clearly you know the, the suitability criteria identified by merits and the sort of lack of a, a merits assessment it is fundamental and going to be a big part of every cpo application what i think will be quite interesting is how whether merits is is sort of sidelined a little bit in terms of it being a consumer driven case because at the end of the day it was an enormous class of almost every adult in the UK with very, very small claims. And how is the cap going to apply those principles to much more substantial claims by, in many cases, institutional um, companies and the like, which are much better able to bring actions by themselves rather than um, um, under a collective regime. So it'd be very interesting how the CAT applies those principles to, to quite different sets of circumstances. Thanks, Damien. Uh, I agree with that. And it, it, it's clear that there was um, a degree of focus on the policy justifications behind the collective proceedings regime that underpins the majority decision that, you know, the importance of justice for consumers who'd otherwise lack resource to bring these types of claims was, was really at the forefront of the thinking. And those policy themes perhaps track less obviously to cases involving larger commercial claimants. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and I mean, you know, the other thing to add is that, you, you know, claimants can't escape a merits assessment forever. It, it may well be that the CPO uh, certification stage is very important but you've got to bear in mind that um, two things really that the Supreme Court emphasized the role of the cat as a gatekeeper so there's a continual assessment of whether the collective action is suitable to go ahead um, and 
ultimately as well, you know, cases are not won on certification is there does have to be a good claim underlying underlying that and the merits will come to the fore very quickly. Um, So really, I'm quite interested in how, even for cases that are certified, how will the cat keep its sort of rolling vigilance um, on those um, on those cases, and how strictly will it, you know, how strictly and how often will it return to assess CPOs even after it's given an initial certification? Thanks, uh, and I agree absolutely that claimants can't become complacent going forward. It's clear from our discussion here, really, that despite the Supreme Court's um, decision in Merricks, the collective proceedings regime is very much in its infancy and there are lots of uncertainties that remain. And much will depend on how the CAT applies Merricks in certification hearings this year. Uh, With that in mind, Tim, do you have any predictions for the future of the collective action regime in the CAT? Well, I think that's a great question Camilla but also quite a difficult one to really answer with any degree of certainty at this stage at least because Merricks is ultimately a chapter in the ongoing story of the CAT collective action regime. What I think I can say is that I think we'll certainly continue to see collective actions being pursued here in the UK and perhaps even a growth in numbers as the CATS regime matures because as you've noted it's still in its relative infancy and it's only been around for about five years now. And in turn, I could see a rise in carriage disputes between competing applications. And in that context, I think you could see uh, a rise in the prominence of funding issues as the CAT has to decide between competing applications, particularly around which one may, for example, be better or more adequately funded than the other. Realistically, though, I think it's too early to predict whether these developments would lead to a higher proportion of cases being successfully certified and then continuing all the way through to trial including, as Damien mentioned, as they progress under the CAT's rolling vigilance. Thanks, Tim. And and Damien, turning to you, what impact do you think Merricks will have on the um, class action regime more generally in the UK? And how, if at all, do you think that the litigation landscape in the UK will change in the coming years? I mean, I think there is a long-term trend towards um, putting in place better procedures um, for group actions the the current CPR procedures are not really designed with the sort of actions uh, that they're having to deal with right now you've got the extremely narrow um, CPR 19 um, route for representative actions but in in the light of the the BA case that that has not been utilized very much there is a, a case going on at the minute Lloyd versus Google um, where there's 5 million iPhone users um, trying to get under that representative action regime. And so that'll be closely watched. But, you know, the best will in the world, that isn't going to be broad enough for all the types of group actions that are out there. Some are just having to uh, go down the normal you know, consolidation route of bringing a, a lot of claimants all under the head of one claim form or several claim forms that are consolidated together. Um, so, you know, you really got to go back to the start and look at the consultation papers that were around before the um, uh, the current competition group actions regime 
uh, was put in place. And there they were looking at, can we have a, a, a whole group action regime for, for all sorts of um, claims, not just competition ones. And perhaps, perhaps there was a sense that let's do competition claims first and see how that goes and take it in incremental steps. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think they'll want to see how the CPO regime works first. But I wouldn't be surprised to see other sectors joining the competition regime over the coming years. Perhaps data privacy breaches is um, is a sort of good candidate for that. And who knows, maybe it will be broadened, broadened out to a, a complete regime that's that, that covers all, all manner of torts. Thanks very much, Damien. And I think that's a great concluding thought and a good place to finish the podcast. Um, Tim and Damien, very much enjoyed hearing your views on the impact of the Merrick's judgment. And I'm sure there'll be lots of opportunity to discuss the UK's fledgling collective proceedings regime in the future. So thank you both very much. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.